Hey guys, it's Katie and Mandy. Welcome to the Dirty Britches Minisode. Hello, we're back. Hi. It's <laughs> Mandy. Back. And I'm Katie. <laughs> and this is Our Dirty Laundry, a podcast where we talk about the history of white women being complicit in all sorts of horrible, sundry, awful things, because those are not histories we as white women typically share or talk about. And this is yeah. the place to do it. So thanks for coming. This is a mini-sode. We post these on Tuesdays and we have longer episodes that post on Fridays where we either have an incredible guest that we talk to or we get into very nitty-gritty detailed rabbit holes and have a good time learning about horrible history. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the main reasons we decided to do this, we've talked about it before, but it's just that we think we have a responsibility to educate ourselves. Um, there are a lot of good um, racial justice educators out there, um, women of you know different races, the black and brown and Asian people that we would definitely point to for your racial justice education, I think. Um, and we definitely support them and we'll point you to them where we can. This is just more of a space where I think we've also been asked to do our own work and a place where we can point out some of that because as we have discovered over the past several weeks and few months, there's so much that we were never taught, but it's our responsibility to figure it out because the information is out there and we need to know it. So it is out there today's story in particular. I, for lots of reasons, I am really embarrassed and ashamed and frustrated that I did not know any of this history. Um, we're going to do another local laundry where we dig into a place where we have lots of listeners. And so today is, we're going to focus on Omaha. But before we do, we had a yes. couple quick announcements. So yeah. one, this is nearing the end. I mean, we really are at the end of our first season, I guess you could say, when we're focused on voting rights and suffrage and the suffrage movement. And Mandy and I were talking about how we want our last episode for this season to really be us sort of taking stock of everything we learned and just doing kind of a review of of where we've come from uh, with all of the people we've talked to and all the histories we've learned, the stories we've told each other. And yeah. we thought it would be really cool to ask listeners, especially those of you who have been keeping a pace with our posts, um, if you want to submit what you've taken away from this season, what you're wrestling with, what really is standing out to you and something you've learned. We've got a couple different ways to do this. You could record an audio clip. We'd be happy to play, or you could just write an email um, or post something in on our Instagram. Yeah. Or send page. me just like a, send us a direct message on Instagram um, yeah. and we'll read those things. Or yes, if you do like a voice memo or something that you can attach to an email and send it to Mandy, M-A-N-D-Y at ourdirtylaundrypodcast.com um, or Katie, K-A-T-Y at ourdirtylaundrypodcast.com. And then we'll like compile some of that and include it in our episode. So that would be for the week after this one. So we are going to put this episode out on Tuesday, the 20th. And then for this upcoming Thursday, we wanted to kind of dig deeper into um, the lives and history and contributions of some of the women of color who aren't typically included in the history of women's suffrage and voting rights. So we're going to do that for this Friday, the 23rd. 
So the episode where we would kind of want to sit down and like go over and process everything together will be out on Friday the 30th. So we will need your input. Um, I would say by Wednesday, the 28th of April, so that we have time to put that stuff together. So if you want to send us a quick note, a quick voice memo, anything that you can think of, send it either through Instagram or email. Um, and we would love to hear from you because we've heard from people just the different insights they've had through text messages or, you know, through friends. But yeah. I think we'd be good to share it with everybody. So I do too. And I, I really want to know what is standing out for people or what's something that they've learned from listening. And then I also would love if people have taken some kind of action, which we know anecdotally from here and there, we're hearing from friends of friends and family members listening. But I, I do think that some listeners are being inspired to take actions they hadn't taken before. And so we'd love to hear that too. So either yes, way. And speaking of that, that yes. reminds me that I did want to say um, our last guest, if you haven't listened to Brie Carlson yet from people's action, she gave us some good ways to actually concretely get involved and feel like there's something that we're doing through mm-hmm. people's actions. So um, there is that link on our Instagram page I put it on the last story that I put up for us, but in case anybody does not have Instagram, which that's fine. That's me. You know, evils, <laughs> evils of social media, um, <laughs> or just not having enough time, or you just can't give your, your information and stuff there. That's fine. So if you're not on there, if you go to peoplesaction.org slash volunteer, um, there is an upcoming training on something she talked to us about called deep canvassing uh, the beginning of May. And so there's that and there's several other things on there. But if you're looking to get involved, go to their website and sign up. Yay. That's yeah. exciting. All right. Yeah. Well, great. Um, I have to say, too, I'm just remembering this is not my takeaway from the season, but I remember commenting about how I had dark chocolate covered almonds with sea salt on them. And I was like craving them the whole day, but I was willing to wait to eat them until after we recorded. And now literally sitting right in front of me are gluten-free Oreos. Oh, Oreos makes thing? gluten-free Oreo cookies do they, now. Do they taste good? They taste great. I know we're not like, I feel like someone should get <laughs> us paid from Oreo, but they are amazing. And I dunk them in milk and they taste like my childhood. And I'm so excited, but I legit ate, I don't know, way more than I should have like borderline cookie monster eating them just like <laughs> like I couldn't believe that I could eat an Oreo cookie. I feel and then like I'm going to have to try these and give a objective. Like a, <laughs> I think that's review. fair. That all gluten-free <laughs> like- food should have two reviewers, like one person who has to eat it and one person who doesn't. And then they yeah. can, <laughs> you know, even each other out with the reviews. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because well, it's like I'm when people go on delicious. those diets where they're like, you know, I, fruit just tastes so great because I'm not eating any sugar. I'm like, well, fruit's good, no, it but it ain't sugar, <laughs> so cake so tastes true. better. <laughs> I know. I have such a sweet tooth. I just can't stop it. I have to keep it in check. Anyway, um, okay. this is, again, like I'm willing to not eat Oreo cookies right now and instead talk to my friend and talk to all of you about what I learned. And truly, this is harrowing and awful. I need to give a trigger warning at the outset because um, 
This involves an accusation of sexual assault, which probably won't surprise listeners that a white lady made a false accusation of sexual assault, but I just want to throw that out there. Um, and then also it's pretty graphic, awful racial violence that we're going to talk about. So just brace yourself um, for that. This is also um, focused on Omaha. I think I mentioned that where we have mm -hmm. lots of listeners. So thank you so much to everybody listening in the Omaha area. And I happened to just finish a book this week. I think I've talked about my love of Amber Ruffin before on the mm -hmm. show, and mm -hmm. I know you love her too, that mm -hmm. she grew up in Omaha, which I did not know. Oh, and nice. she and her sister, Lacey Lamar, have just written a book called You'll Never Guess What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism. It mm. is hysterical and heartbreaking. And as someone with a sister who I love so much, I also loved that they co-wrote it together and the way they write it together, you it's just like only sisters could do that. Um, so definitely check out this book. And they're all stories from basically like southwestern Iowa and northeastern Nebraska, like oh, wow. the Omaha area where they grew up and where Lacey still lives. And all of this just batshit stuff that has happened to her. It's pretty amazing. So read that. Okay. Also, I wanted to give a little bit of background before I talk about this specific episode because – to understand what happened, I think it helps to understand the, the just like what was in the air at the time. So okay. we're, we're talking about um, the murder of Will Brown that happened in 1919. And to give you a little context, I also was thinking a lot about what we learned from Brie about how racism and capitalism are so tightly entwined and that mm -hmm. racism is serving to keep a handful of powerful white wealthy men really in power. And mm -hmm. this is a story of that too, um, mm -hmm. even though it could not have happened without the awfulness of a white woman. All right. So 1919 is known as Red Summer. There were what, what were called race riots all over the country. Um, lynchings were peaking. It were, we talked about Atlanta in another mini-sode, mm -hmm. and this is kind of the same time as what happened in Atlanta. So I'm going to take you to Omaha, the booming metropolis of Omaha, Nebraska. And this particular year, white women had been accusing black men left, right, and center of attacks that they did not commit. One example was um, Henry Culpepper, who was an officer, I think, in the army and had been detained, was arrested, and then was released when it was found out that there was like absolutely zero evidence that he had attacked anybody. So over a hundred black men were released after determining that they, there were false reports. So there was a lot of this nonsense happening. Also in the background, there had been a mayoral election and this longtime political boss named Tom Dennison was like, um, gosh, here's some of his nicknames. King Gambler, Old Gray Wolf, and Pick Handle. I'm not sure what that one's for. I first read it as Pickle Handle, and I thought, what is, who gets a nickname Pickle Handle? Jeez. Also, he was like a super tough guy. It's kind of a comical nickname. Anyway, he was a saloon owner, um, really into gambling, bootlegging, Had was in charge of several prostitution rings, and had come to Omaha in his 1930s and just became, or in his 30s, in the early 1900s and operated as like a power broker between elected officials. He himself never held office, but it was kind of like the go between like all of the crime lords of the city and the elected officials. The police were in his pocket. A lot of the governing officials, like just, I don't know, like kind of like a mob boss kind of guy. And 
in the late 19-teens, prohibition was on the rise. And so he was starting to lose power, didn't want to. At the same time, there's all this like racial tension and white supremacy. And so he starts sto- he starts stoking these racial fears to undercut the guy who had won this mayoral election in 1918, um, okay. Edward Smith. And he was, he won as like a reformer and a crusader and like someone who's going to clean up Omaha. So clearly this pickle handle guy doesn't like that idea. <laughs> so all of this is going on. <clears throat> the beginning of September, the Omaha Police Department shoots and kills a bellboy um, who's a black man, Eugene Scott, as he was running away. So that was a hundred years ago and that headline could have been written yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also escalating tensions. And then September 25th, 1919, Agnes Loback is on a date with her boyfriend who becomes her fiance, who becomes her husband, Milton Hoffman. And she's the daughter of German immigrants. I could not find out that much about her. And that's actually something that was super frustrating. I'll get to that. But they're mm-hmm. on a date. She claims that a black man like jumped out of the bushes, um, robs her boyfriend, then drags her behind the bushes and sexually assaults her and then tells them to wait there for 10 minutes. And then he runs away. So that is their report. And then the newspapers, just like in Atlanta, the newspapers react um, like freaking out, like just like pouring fuel all over this fire of, of racism that's been brewing. And the Omaha Bee was the worst. This the headline was Black Beast Sticks Up Couple. Black, Black Beast First Stick Up Couple. I don't really get the grammar there, but obviously not great imagery. Mm-hmm. It says the most daring attack on a white woman ever perpetuated or perpetrated in Omaha. The most recent act in a series of violent offenses conducted by the Negro on Caucasian females in the city occurred one block south of Bancroft Street near Scenic Avenue in Gibson two nights ago. Pretty little Agnes Lobeck was assaulted by a Negro she identified as William Brown while returning home in company with Milton Hoffman, her fiance, a cripple and decorated war veteran. Um, the, the other newspapers called her pretty little Agnes Loback, and it was very, very, very clearly like, oh, this white woman. The Omaha World Herald has this editorial entitled Protection for Womanhood, and it goes, attacks on Omaha women and girls have at last challenged the indignant attention of the community. The extreme limit of endurance has been reached. The apex has been passed with the criminal assault on little Agnes Loback Thursday night by an unidentified Negro. The crime was one of the boldest and most degraded in the annals of crime. I mean, come on. That is like yeah. way over the top. The womanhood, womanhood of Omaha is aroused. Many women feel they are not safe in their own home. They fear for the safety of their daughters if away from home after nightfall. And regrettable as it is to be forced to make the admission, their fears are not groundless. They're demanding better protection. They have a right to demand it for themselves and their daughters. Protection from both white and black degenerates. Which I feel like they toss that last white in there just as like, yeah. oh yeah, I like anybody. But clearly we know what we're talking about. Right. So armed vigilantes start searching for the person um, that Agnes and Milton accuse based on their description. And they find um, Will Brown, who's in his 40s. He had worked as a heavy laborer in a packing house in a lumber yard and had uh, rheumatitis. Is that what it's called? Rheumatitis? Is that a yeah, thing? Yeah, just basically like rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. My medical and They might call it rheumatitis too. I don't know. Well, <laughs> like where rheumatoid. you can't really move very yeah. well. That would yeah, be rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and was yeah. like really bent over. Um, and this is where the story just starts to get all sorts of twisted. Okay, so twist one. This is this is who they accuse, Wilbur. First t- twist. Remember Pickle Hen, man? Yeah. The 
boss of the city. Mm-hmm. Turns out Agnes's boyfriend, Milton, who was with her that night, Twist was a former boxer, and Twist is the right-hand man of Tom Dennison, the mob boss of Omaha. Mm. So my red flags are going up. Like you, this man you've accused, like can barely move because of all the labor he's done. You are a former boxer and you are connected to the like mafia Don of Omaha, who is deliberately stoking racial fears. Hmm. Other twist, the crisis magazine um, for the NAACP ended up reporting after the fact that Agnes actually was a sex worker who'd had a relationship with Will Brown and they had argued and she was trying to get back at him. I don't, I have not found that anywhere else. Um, Mm. and I don't know, I don't know if that has been corroborated, but that is also out there in the ether. It's like possibly what else is happening because there Mm. was a lot of sex work happening in the city, um, that white women were participating in. So there, it's possible that that's part of it, but I also, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Agnes ends up getting married to Milton. They have, I think five kids. They moved to Denver, moved back to Omaha. And I'm really annoyed that I can't find out anything more about her. All right. Mm -hmm. So here's what happened. The vigilantes like, um, figure out they, they think it's Will Brown. The police bring Will Brown to Agnes and Milton and they identify him as who attacked them. And then the mob tries to seize him. The police try to protect him and get him to the courthouse. They get him to the courthouse. They arrest him. He's held there for a few hours. And then the, you know, with the newspaper stories and this mob of hundreds of primarily young men, but some white women too are gathering in South Omaha, which is like the white working class area. And then they march North into the, black part of Omaha and they gather outside of the courthouse and basically all bets are off. The mob begins shooting at the courthouse with like thousands of rounds of ammunition. They set fire to the building. They prevent firefighters from extinguishing the flames. Um, Meanwhile, Will Brown is inside, you know, having been arrested with the other prisoners Mm. and is claiming that he's innocent, that he, he didn't do it. That those are his last words. That he, my God, I am innocent. The mob then attacks the police chief. Um, bands of white men are roaming the street looking for other black people to attack. The mayor, and remember this was the reform guy who got elected, arrives on the scene and he's attempting to get the rioters to leave and like tells them that they're out of line. They blame him in part for this like increased attack like attacks on white women um, that also the mob boss in the newspapers were trying to make it seem like the mayor's fault that white women were being attacked by black men, which PS wasn't even happening. So all of this is like layers of bullshit. They strike him on the head from behind, put a rope around his neck and drag his unconscious body to a lamppost and string it up. One of the other people in the crowd cuts down. This is the mayor um, and like help him escape And then inside the courthouse, the prisoners, there's like a shuffle. And we're not really sure exactly what happened, but basically the mob is able to get Brown. This is where it's super awful and painful. I sent Mandy a picture earlier. It's this very famous photograph that kind of became emblematic of the whole Red Summer. If you want to look at the picture, Mandy, you can look at it now. Um, They tear off his clothing as they drag him. Um, They shoot his body with bullets. They drag him behind a police car. Um, they burn him. Fragments of the rope that were used to lynch him were sold as souvenirs. Um, lots of photographs are taken and they burn his body, um, which is the picture that you see with all mm-hmm. of these white men standing behind him smiling. I don't know what strikes you. It's like such an iconic image of this horrible summer. And I think 
I had actually seen this picture before when I was learning about history of lynching, but I didn't know that it took place in Omaha. What stands out to you when you look I at mean, that picture? I mean, it makes me think of our conversation with Bree where she was saying, you know, racism doesn't exist just because people like to be awful and mean to each other. It exists to uphold capitalism, which I 100% agree with. But also, I'm like, these people are horrible. Like these, they're, they're they are horrible. Like, I mean, right? They're like expressing themselves in such a horrible way. I I think both are true. Like, yeah. The other context here was that the World War One had ended. Men were home and had PTSD and were fighting for jobs. Um, like there was a lot of economic unrest. Like there's just a lot of reason to feel depressed and scared. And these were people that the newspapers and politicians like Denison were able to like rile up and point their anger and scapegoat it at black people in their community and, and then went on to do heinous, heinous violence as a yeah. result of that. So I don't know. I think it is all connected. And I would hope that there would be people like no matter how much you try to whip them up would not get whipped mm-hmm. into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I'm sure it's a, it has to be a conglomeration of all of those things, but at the same time, there's like a line you cross. But it also makes me think of like what could have happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking had about that too. some of that mob like gotten a hold of members yes. of Congress that they were talking about murdering. Yes. I wholeheartedly believe that these pictures could have been recreated in a lot of that situation. Just... It's all so present still. It's all so present, exactly. And we know that there were white women that were part of the mob that were like egging them on. Some white women had their babies there and were like, do it for the children. And really horrible things like, you know, teach them like things like teach them how we do it up north or like show them that we can basically like lynch people as well as they can in the south. Kind of Mm. um, like cheers for this mob. They... So the U.S. Army ends up getting called in from various forts all over the Midwest. They come and set up a command post at the intersection of 24th and Lake Street. And I don't know Omaha very well, but this is in North Omaha, which is the heart of Omaha's black community, which actually, if you read Lacey Lamar and Amber Ruffin's book, you learn all about North Omaha and Mm -hmm. and the stereotypes and prejudice and racism. And that, I mean, is still very, very clearly there today. And it was really important for me to learn about this incident in 1919 to understand the historical context of the neighborhood that Lacey's talking about where she lives and works because it is super segregated. And that start, like that was entrenched through this event because when the army comes and sets up their post, the, they, they literally draw a red line around where the black people live and then lock it into place. And basically like, create this neighborhood that has curfews for black people the army confiscated their guns and the supposed like the kind of public facing message was that they were there to protect black people from further violence but mm-hmm. for black people in the neighborhood they they were like well then why would you take our guns why would you like we're not where the problem is so it doesn't seem like that is maybe the reason to do it. So they, they draw this red line around the near north side and then real estate agents for years, insurance brokers, bankers, property owners, like keep 
that a super segregated part of the city, which continues until today. So mm. once this riot, the army um, basically like shuts down the immediate violence, the white press blames the police. The more liberal white press blames the mob. But the black press at the time, they blamed the white press for fanning racial prejudice and publishing false stories of violence against white women and basically like misinformation, like fake news, like making people think things that aren't true that they then act violently for, which is exactly what happened at the Capitol as well. Like people Mm -hmm. taking it vigilante justice based on false information is terrifying on every conceivable level. 20,000 people witnessed this, and it was the one of the largest um, individual spectacles of racial violence in U.S. history. And this photograph, as I said, is what kind of goes around the world as an image of Red Summer. Um, in addition to lynching, dismembering, burning Will Brown's body, there was also one other um, Black person who was caught by the mob and murdered. At least 20 policemen were wounded, and at least 10 homes in the near north side neighborhood were destroyed. And I'm going to post links to all of the websites that had really awesome history about that. There's a good website, North Omaha history. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of really good links that I'll post. And then Orville Menard, um, had an article that talked about what happened after. So the grand jury issued 189 indictments. 12-year-old Saul Francis was the youngest to be arrested. He had urged other rioters to follow him as he climbed a ladder. So a 12-year-old white boy Hmm. involved in this. Um, Only a few of the arrested were ever prosecuted, mostly on minor charges. Two exceptions were dudes named Ralph Snyder and Claude Nethaway, who I found in various sources that people were like, he was a super racist realtor. (laughs) Like... Just drumming up business and involved with this mob. Um, But they were found not guilty of Brown's murder after a brief jury deliberation. And this was Snyder had shouted, um, we have showed the N-word what a northern mob can do from on top of burned out police car. Congratulations. Yep. But he not guilty for him. (laughs) So the grand jury ends up submitting its report. Um, They had were frustrated that there were lots of obstacles like people weren't cooperating eyewitnesses weren't cooperating because a lot of the people who were there were like egging it on although one of the people who saw this was henry fonda the actor and apparently mm. it like really shaped him as a person which i would imagine that it would um the most of the reports um that came out after this especially created by white people were like, well, the problem is that like other cities have these riots. And so our people just like were copying what other people were doing. Kind of the classic, like, well, my friend was doing it. Mm. So then I did it. So I'm not really to blame. Um, the like economic unrest, the, the veterans coming back from the war, basically like anarchists, of course, communists, of course, like anything except racist. Was Antifa there too? Yeah, probably Antifa. (laughs) I'm sure. Yes. Although, get this. So Denison, this mob boss guy, was known for hiring people to wear blackface and commit crimes. Oh. To, like, drum up support for his, you know, line that we need to be afraid of black people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's Mm -hmm. who we're working with. And then in 1921, the... Mayor Smith loses, and then the old mayor that had been there forever that was hooked up with the mob boss, he gets reelected, dismisses all the pending charges, and then just doubles down on everything. And then I could not, again, figure out what happened to Milton Hoffman and Agnes. I know they got married. 
I know they moved to Denver. I know they moved back to Omaha. One source said that Milton Hoffman um, became a secretary to a bunch of city commissioners and then was the coordinator of services at the Omaha City Hall in the 1960s. And then Agnes passed away in 1966. Um, it just infuriates me that someone could cause, could be the match that lit that fire and then just walk off into obscurity and and yeah. walk away with absolutely no consequences. And mm. there, of course, is evidence that absolutely Will Brown did not commit this crime. So yeah, it it's if that did crime it, even are we existed sure? That, yeah, like did a crime even happen? No, we That's don't know. Question. I mean, yeah. because this mob boss guy was like, you know, causing shenanigans all over the city. He was out of town when this happened, and so people are like, well, he couldn't have been directly directly involved but it just reminded me of donald trump too where i'm like that yeah. dude like powerful white horrible people know how to keep their hands clean while doing super dirty work yeah that is like lesson 101 when you go to rich asshole camp they're like to open your <laughs> notebooks here's how you stay clean when you incite riots yeah. write this down and so that of course like you look at his kind of scope of practice and his mo i it just would not surprise me like I feel like, yes, that had to have been what happened. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not an expert in this. I just spent a couple <laughs> days reading about it. But um, it makes me really mad that no one has an article like, Agnes, do you regret anything? Are you still super racist? Tell us. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. You can find nothing. And her kids and grandkids still live in the area. So probably someone listening is like, oh, wait a second. Hoffman? Yeah. My neighbor is so-and-so. Like, go ask them. Did your mom ever talk about it? So here's the last little bit I'll leave you with. So the, her grandniece is doing research about family history and ends up realizing that Will Brown was buried in an unknown grave, like a potter's field, mm -hmm. just once west of Florence, Nebraska. And so this grand grandniece, my science, the way the article made it sound, so hopefully this is true, but that she was like doing genealogy and then stumbled across this story. Which this is what we've been talking about a lot. Like white people have terrible memories and they purposely forget things that make us look shitty. And so yep. your family member was the domino that fell that caused one of the worst scenes of, of white supremacist violence in our country's history in like a single day. And your family, I get why you would want to distance yourself from that, but you better fucking remember that to honor that yeah. man and his family. Like, you don't get to forget that. You don't get to whistle and pretend like that wasn't part of your family's history. So I I guess, like, shout out to this niece for trying to figure something out. But the apparently there was, like, some kind of process that never really went anywhere to try to get his grave marked. And then some random California dude, I, I can't remember his name. I didn't write it down. Who just happened to be a fan of Henry Fonda, was mm. reading about Henry Fonda's life, read this footnote about how Henry Fonda witnessed this horrible thing. And then he got curious, went down a rabbit hole and found that Will Brown had an unmarked grave. And so donated hundreds of dollars to have a marker that hmm. says, lest we forget. And then a local Omaha man, um, Kokai Ufanifu, I hope I'm saying that name right, held a candlelight vigil and like a ceremony when the marker was placed. It just seems like too many random people had to, like, out of the goodness of their heart, do something for this person to be honored. Remember, who yeah. had such a horrible death. 
yeah. I mean, I, I really don't know that I can imagine anything more terrifying than yeah. that being I wonder the about last his family. few hours of your life. I do too. Yeah. And, and could I, find nothing. People still in Omaha related to him. Yeah. <sighs> well, Omaha, there's your dirty laundry. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I, well, we're I gonna know those get are into, always depressing. Yeah, we're going to get into more of the history. I, I, we've touched on it before, but just the history of this whole idea of protecting the virtue of white women leading to um, a lot of really horrific things in our history. Um, yeah. And that's going to be upcoming in our next series. There's a book that I've been reading on it in case anyone's more interested in reading it called white fright, the sexual panic at the heart of America's racist history It's by Jane Daly. Um, so there just gets into a lot of that background, which is yeah. The, depressing, the next but. season, I, it's, it's all so dark. I am really glad we started with women's suffrage because I think there is this sense that like, Oh, liberal white people, we are not to blame. And this came up with our conversation with Brie too, just how, Sometimes those are are the people that present the most frustration to racial justice mm-hmm. and they get in the way the most. But I, I'm excited for our next season that we're starting here in a few weeks to really look at some of the most egregious, explicit white supremacy. And I think it'll surprise people who is connected to that, that there are a lot of mm-hmm. white women we've been taught to admire and hold up who did some dirty dirty things so we're gonna get into it thanks for listening thanks to omaha guys thanks to Lacey lamar if anyone knows her i i really want her to know i love her book so uh (laughs) thank you everybody yeah we appreciate it and send us your stuff we will talk to you soon yeah have a good week bye